Sharks only grow as large as their surroundings permit. They can be six feet long and fully developed, or six inches long. Turn them loose, and they grow to their normal size. Something similar can be noticed about those who follow Christ. Christ gives his followers the capacity to reach his full stature, but it is only when they are challenged by their circumstances and their environment permits them. Left unchallenged, though, most of us stay exactly where we are, with an immature understanding of faith and a nominal commitment to it. Today's gospel shows a growing and stretching experience like those that came from time to time to his disciples. In this case, Jesus takes three of them, and those three, Peter, James, and John, formed sort of an inner circle so that when special things happen, you may remember also in Gethsemane, it is those three that Jesus takes along with him. They go up a high mountain. We, we don't really know which mountain it was. Traditionally, Mount Tabor, but that apparently had a Roman fort on top of it. So more likely Mount Hermon, which this time of year is snow-capped. Anyway, the three of them with Jesus go up the mountain, and then something strange happens. Jesus begins to glow. He is transfigured. His clothing becomes whiter than any fuller on earth could bleach them. And then the climax of the scene is not actually the whitening of Jesus' countenance or his clothes or anything like that. The climax is the voice. Scary thing it must have been for them. The voice that says, this is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. They hadn't been doing so well on that department. Just ask Peter, who wouldn't accept the fact that when Jesus recognized Peter's confession, told him what it was to be the Christ, and Peter was having nothing of it. Listen to him. They were terrified. Plain old fear? Guilty fear? I guess we haven't been listening. Yeah. Numinous fear, that's fear of the strange, the otherworldly, the nee, 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 if you're old enough, you remember that. Shame, coming from awareness of their own inadequacies and imperfections. Fear of being abandoned, maybe, especially when we realize how little we have to offer. While serving aboard a gunboat in Vietnam, Dave Rover was holding a phosphorus grenade some six inches from his face when a sniper's bullet ignited it. In his book, Welcome Home, Davy, he describes the first time that he saw his face after the explosion. When I looked in that mirror, I was a monster, not a human being. My soul seemed to shrivel up and collapse in on itself to be sucked into a black hole of despair. I was left with an indescribable and terrifying emptiness. I was alone in the way that the soul in hell must feel alone. 
Finally, Rover came back to the States to meet with his wife, Brenda. And just before Brenda arrived, Rover watched the wife of another burn victim tell her husband that she wanted a divorce. Then Brenda walked in. Again, what he says, showing not the slightest tremor of horror or shock, she bent down and kissed me on what was left of my face. Then she looked me in my good eye, smiled and said, welcome home, Davy. I love you. To understand what that meant to me, he writes, you have to know that's what she called me when we were most intimate. By using her term of endearment for me, she said, you are my husband. You will always be my husband. You are still my man. To understand the grace of God poured out in Jesus Christ, we must first understand our inadequacy, our imperfection, our ugliness, if you like, even our fear and stupidity. But the transfigured Christ in all his loveliness, in all his holiness, in all his glory still loves us, not because of what we are, but because of who he is. There was no need for the disciples to be terrified, but they, of course, did not know that. They were apparently not going to be burned to a crisp by being in the presence of the righteous God, just as Israel had to fear touching the mountain when the glory and majesty descended upon it to make a covenant with them through Moses. Should they have a sense of awe? Sure, because this was a hint not only of what Christ was, but also of what he would be after the resurrection. And they were transformed themselves. Not at once, of course. Sanctification is never an instant thing. You have to grow into it like those sharks in the aquarium. You have to grow into it, in this case, by dying to self and living through the Spirit into Christ and into his image more and more. And that ain't easy. It can be downright painful or embarrassing. There's a story told of a well-known Christian businessman who was visiting a church and as a matter of courtesy was asked to bring a word of greeting to the congregation. Unfortunately, he got rather carried away in the process and he went on telling them about all of the wonderful things that he had done for the Lord. I have a large house a fine family, a successful business, and a good reputation. I have enough money to do whatever I want, and I'm able to support some Christian ministries very generously, and many organizations want me to be a director. I have health and almost unlimited opportunities. Most people would change places with me. What more could God give me? And as he paused for effect, a voice shouted from the back of the auditorium, how about a good dose of humility? Glory can be as much of a test as a trial can be. Glory doesn't always go on very well for us, doesn't go down well. We want to hang on to it. 
we don't want to move beyond it back down to themselves in the flatlands where things are drab and dreary, if not depressing. We would rather have our head in the clouds, breathing the rarefied and invigorating atmosphere of heaven rather than the polluted air of earth. Just ask Peter. Just ask St. Paul for that matter. A man, as he says, caught up to the third heaven. He tells us that in 2 Corinthians 12. Quote, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul understood what glory was. The real glory is the cross. The transfiguration points ahead over Lent to Easter, but it is only through Lent. It was not Christ's mission to stay on the mountain and be worshipped. He came to serve and love it was not Peter, James, and John's mission to stay there awestruck. That would not be real love. Real love suffers, and by that, transforms. That is its glory. When American forces captured Okinawa in World War II, the typical island village was a filthy place. The inhabitants were ignorant and poverty-stricken. But there was a village called Shimabuke, which was different. Its streets and homes were spotlessly clean, and its citizens were friendly and polite. Why? Thirty years before, a missionary had stopped there on his way to Japan. He won two men to Christ, Shoshe Kina and his brother Mojon, and he gave them a Bible. And through them, the entire village became Christian, and village life was transformed through the care and the love that was instilled in the hearts of all for each other. And that is our ministry too. When we have been transformed by the transfigured Christ, we catch a vision of what the world could be if we all lived under his lordship. We've seen the glory that he has as resurrected Lord. After the transfiguration, Peter, James, and John would no longer be content to live in a tiny fish bowl or fishing bowl. Christ had called them to bigger and better things as fishers of people. Now through the transfiguration, they saw the glory that was to be, and what a difference that made to them, though they were told not to say anything about it until after Christ had risen. There is a big difference for us, of course. We are living on the other side of the resurrection. We may need to hear and to be brought to the mountain. 
Suppose you and I had been there with Peter and James and John. What would have happened to us? Wouldn't we have been terrified? Wouldn't we have been transformed? Wouldn't we have been turned loose to transform the world around us, the world for which Christ died? We may need to be brought to the mountain. When or even whether God will appear on it, of course, is his business. In a way, though, we have been brought there. The transfigured Christ is here. Bread and wine become his body and blood. He is here in you and with you, too. All we can do is to go on his word, and that is enough. A word given on another mountain when he was in his resurrected glory. Lo, I am with you always, even to the close of the age. We have seen his glory as we have needed to. In that is strength, strength to go on and to do his will. Now, because that is true, what is going to happen to those around you? That's the mission. Amen. And may the peace of God, which passes understanding, keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.